Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, and Sherelle McMillan. A little bit earlier than we thought we might be doing a postseason basketball wrap, but uh, we're doing it. And Greg, I'm going to come to you first because I think it's relevant. We were talking off the air about perspective. Carolina, of course, goes out in the second round this year. Uh, and there's two ways to take that loss. Uh, I'll let you start us off and we'll kind of wing it from there. Well, if you go back to the end of last season, championship season, and then you hear Tony Bradley's leaving, and you start looking at the roster saying, holy cow, they have absolutely nothing in the front court. I mean, maybe Luke May can develop a little bit, but uh, you really have to have these freshmen come on. And that was our conversation your last preseason, is for North Carolina to have any kind of decent season, you got to have a Huffman, you've got to have a Manley, you got to have a Brooks really develop. Um, and then Luke May does what he does. And we knew what we had, a, we had a really good idea of what Joel Berry was going to be able to do. Uh, but Luke May played, you know, incredibly better than anybody would have ever thought. First team all ACC. You know, he was a contender for ACC player of the year up until the last couple of weeks. Theo Pinson was probably UNC's best player the last month of the season. I think Kenny Williams was better than a lot of us thought. Cam uh, seemed to live up to expectations. And so what was a lot of question marks at the beginning of the year, for the most part, were answered. And UNC got better. And I know that they were 5-5, five and five, and a lot of us had questions about, okay, can they turn it around? Can they get better defensively? Can they make shots? And they did. Um, and so we we knew that going into the tournament that they were going to have to get a, a good game or two out of the freshman bigs. Um, and if you listen to this podcast and our pre-NCAA tournament show, Sherelle highlighted the fact that, hey, A&M's there. They've got a lot of size. That could be a potential matchup issue. Um, you know, I, I was pretty big on the fact that Providence was a very tough, scrappy team with good guards. They could pose an issue. Uh, A&M did a really good job getting past Providence, and then we saw what happened with, with the Aggies. And so uh, UNC's weakness was exposed in that game, and you combine it with the fact that UNC couldn't shoot, and it got out of control. Um, but I think it's a good sign, and kind of where we're going with this is, I think the fact that people were upset that UNC lost in the second round and they were shocked that UNC lost in the second round is really a testament to how far this team came because we had so many question marks in the preseason. Um, and I think it's, you know, it shows what kind of coach Roy Williams is. It speaks to the leadership of Joel Berry and Theo Pinson to push these guys, their teammates, all season long. Uh, and while I understand fans are – disappointed right now that UNC is not going to be playing in the Sweet 16 for the fourth straight year. Uh, I think when you look back on this year, largely it's a success. Um, it's a lot better than uh, we've seen some uh, post-championship teams play. I mean, 2010 comes to mind, of course. And so, you know, in a game where North Carolina needed those freshman bigs to play above their heads against the Aggies, they were unable to. And that was kind of the one thing that that led to that loss, I think, uh, combined with UNC not shooting. But we knew if UNC ran into a situation where they couldn't hit shots, that would happen. Um, and so I, I just think it's a uh, perspective-wise, I think the Tar Heels had a, a really good year. Did they reach their potential? Eh, probably not. But they were pretty close. And I think that's really all you can ask for with a team that we knew was incredibly limited. Uh, but they played very well, and you know they tied for third in the ACC and, and made a run in the ACC tournament and got a two seed. So I think that's a very successful season. Ross, uh, successful season or not, uh, there's two scales there. It's the Carolina, traditional Carolina scale, and then there's knowing what this team had going into the season scale. So your thoughts on 
uh, how it all ended. Uh, did they reach that potential Greg talked about? Yeah, I mean, Greg touched on a lot of good points, but um, I think the ceiling, kind of once we figure out what this team was, was a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team, and they didn't get there. They ran to a buzzsaw. It was Texas A&M, but, you know, like Greg said about the development of, of Theo Pinson and, and Luke May and, and getting Cameron Johnson in and, and getting some help here and there from the bench and just consistent play of Joel Berry, I think what this team had and what they ended up being was – an av- above average surprise like it wasn't a huge huge surprise but i think they overachieved in that sense they did lose 11 games which you know most seasons is it would be a thought of in a negative way but given how much they lost and how much how much things had to click and go right and get help from certain players i think you look at this season in a, in a fond mat manner especially considering just the senior class i know we'll dive into that more of Joel Berry and Theo Pinson, what they achieved. Um, and then, I mean, I was sitting there after the game in Charlotte thinking, man, this, I mean, most of these guys won a national championship last year. And so that's when the expectations and the for UNC fans kind of click in. It's like, geez, I mean, they, they went back-to-back championship games. How much do you really want? It was bound for a, for a team, for a UNC team to have a kind of a letdown. And uh, that happened this year. Um, I think the ball kind of bounced the right way a lot. In 2017, especially on that run to the uh, to the championship game, so that kind of evened out this year when they had a, a bad draw. We thought it was a good draw. I mean, I don't think we, many people realize how good Texas A&M was. That team kind of looked like kind of what Michigan State did to UNC in Portland. Um, but I think just kind of looking at the individual seasons um, uh, of Lay. Of, of Cameron Johnson kind of stepping into a role and people kind of living up or even su- surpassing their potential. I think you look at this, um, this season in a fond manner, obviously wanting more, wanting that, that regional appearance and kind of seeing what happens after the Sweet 16. So, of course, there's going to be a bad taste in your mouth. But I think looking back, there'll be you know, mostly positive memories. Um, but I, I understand the, the upsetness that uh, a lot of fans have um, – after Sunday night, it was a it was a weird kind of sad locker room. But then you had had some positive things. Theo Pence is saying, that, "Yeah, I'm going to remember myself as a champ." And, and Joel Berry, you know, being very positive about his experience and, and just kind of the sadness of guys um, wishing they could have done more to help those seniors go out on a better note. Sherelle, certainly uh, the fact that they won the championship eases it a little bit. Your take on the perspective aspect of it and the, the, whether or not they reach their ceiling. But also, I don't recall a Carolina team in the past that had so many different guys get so much better than they were uh, the previous season. Luke May, Kenny Williams, uh, Theo Pinson even. I mean, we knew Theo Pinson could play, but I mean, he played outstanding at times this year. Um, on a consistent basis, your thoughts, um, you know, with regards to the season from that perspective. Yeah, I think the fan base actually handled it better than I anticipated. Um, if you obviously Twitter and social media are not the end all representative of the fan base, but if you use that as one of the tools by which you measure, um, it seemed like people were initially very upset that first hour or so afterwards. And then it went to, wow, what an incredible ride this team has had. This core group, you know, with Theo Pinson and Joel Berry, two Final Fours, you know, a Sweet 16 appearance, uh, wins over Duke, which, you know, before that hadn't been as frequent as they have been in the last couple of years. Um, uh, ACC tournament championship. So there's a lot of stuff that they did. I think people, um, after that initial shock of North Carolina, not just losing, but, you know, being beaten down pretty much by Texas A&M, it went to, wow, this was, this was a, such a great four years for these guys. And we've been, uh, the fans have been really, um, uh, I guess, grateful, should be grateful to have had uh, that time with those guys. So I think that to me kind of stood out. It was very quickly how it, how it switched from upset to thank you, Joel Berry. Thank you, Theo Pinson. Thank you, Luke May. Um, as far as you talking about with, with guys reaching their potential, I think we saw, um, if not the best, very close to it of Joel Berry of Luke May, of Cameron Johnson. Don't forget that game at Clemson when he, you know, pretty much helped Unity come back from that huge deficit. And then Kenny Williams and Theo Pinson. I think at points we saw the best of them 
or very close to it throughout the season. So that speaks to, you know, the development of those guys um, during the offseason. Kenny Williams, uh, Luke May, and Justin Jackson were roommates the last couple of years. And it's so funny to me to see how Justin Jackson's work ethic last summer, you know, uh, paid off by Luke May working with him. Luke May hits the shot. Those guys work together again, Luke and Kenny. And Kenny's in the gym. He's like, well, if Luke and Justin aren't in the room, why am I here? I should be in the gym. And so that kind of permeates throughout those guys. And then you see Kenny Williams have a great year. So um, as far as the uh, how these guys have changed and improved, I think it really started with the Marcus Page crew. And they passed it down to the Joel Berry crew, who's passed it down to the Kenny Williams, Luke May crew, who's now going to pass it down to the uh, Huffman, you know, Woods, Little, White crew. Um, so that's been interesting to watch. And I think Roy Williams talked about it in his press conference about how important that those that group of players are, the class of 2012, class of 2013, and the class of 2014, um, just steering North Carolina through a lot of things and still doing a lot of winning. Yeah, that that point there to have the upperclassmen show the younger guys what it's like, I think, you know, I can relate that to the football side of things. That's for another show, but having – seniors and juniors show you how to do it the correct way um and then it kind of just builds on itself you know i think roy williams did a fantastic job i've given roy williams a lot of grief on this podcast uh, over the years but i thought he did one of his best jobs this year getting out of this team what he did now that being said ross i asked you this first and this is off the message boards. Uh, Ross, you put the thread on our premium message board, so we're going to ask some of those questions. Do you believe it's unrealistic to expect the championship every year or a title contending team every year? And I've always thought, I'll get my two cents in first, I've always thought that the way Roy Williams coaches and recruits, every three or four years, you expect Carolina to be there. And it's sort of paid out, played out that way, five, nine uh, would have been in 12, but for a bad injury, 16 and 17. Uh, Ross, your take. I think back then when the, the recruiting was at a higher level, I think that was realistic. Uh, at, you know, not including the years where you had the mass exodus. But um, I think now with kind of the lower talent level in recruiting, um, I think it's it's going to be hard. Well, I mean – I say that, and they went to back to back in kind of the one of the lower periods in time, but they had some players just really step up and guys stay on and re- really perform. But I think, you know, this this class, this rising sophomore class, is not as talented as classes in the past. I think the class of Brandon Robinson, Seventh Woods, um, and I guess it was Tony Brown as well. That's not not a super talented class as well. We're going to see kind of when they become juniors and seniors how you know, how that lesser talent of player and it really affects UNC's chances. Um, and But it has picked up recently. And you, you'd like to think that UNC is going to lock down some, some more elite players in the 19, 20, 21 classes and so maybe turn it around. But I think and the expectation I know is, is, you know, a deep tournament run, but to expect a national championship is a, is a little, um, a little lofty. I think just everything has to go your right way. And, and only, Every, only every once in a while do you get a team that is just has to win or bust. I think in 09, that was certainly the case. Um, and I, I don't think in 17 or uh, 17 or 16, I think I don't think those teams were definitely a shoe in. I think those teams were good enough to make Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and see what happened from there. But they certainly weren't shoe-ins for the title game and things bounced their way, like I said earlier. So, um, I mean, expectations are always going to be high because of, of what I think Roy Williams has set and Dean Smith before him. But it's uh, to get to the final four every year, a lot of things have to go the right way, and that's not going to happen every year, whether that be injuries, uh, someone leaves early, um, or a variety of other variables. I think this team had Tony Bradley. I mean, I think that things are a lot different. This team has Tony Bradley at the five and, and Luke May, but it just didn't go that way. Um, and so because of that, uh, you, you can't you can't expect that every year. I think every four to five years having a chance to compete for a national championship is a is a good expectation to set and just hope to kind of enjoy the ride from there. Shrell, bounce back to you. Uh, you know, what is a national title contender? Is it winning 30 games and losing in the first round? I mean, is that a title contending team? 
or is it getting to the Elite Eight, Final Four, see what happens type of team? So, yeah, I, I think the 31 team is what people are talking about when they talk about title contenders. Um, just that sustained excellence, which North Carolina is kind of used to, you know, going to, I think it was 14 or 15 straight Sweet 16s. I think that's what they mean when they talk about title contender. So um, that in this day and age, I think is a little far-fetched. So real quick, one thing that I think is missed, you know, Roy Williams always talks about, and we're used to hearing what he says and all his um, isms and cliches, but he always talks about wanting experienced talent. Look at the classes of 2012, 2013, and 2014. He signed 10 players over those three years. So that's a total of 40 years. He got 38 years out of those 10 players. The only people who left, JP Tokido left a year early, and Justin Jackson left a year early. So if they're able to continue to do that, where they have talented players and they get in to stay three years, then, yeah, every two or three years, they should be enough for a title. Greg, your thoughts? I mean, expectations are unrealistic. At Carolina across the board, but at basketball, probably probably the most unrealistic. Yeah, well, I'll just say this. I mean, look at Virginia this year. What are they, 31-2? and two, And they get knocked out in the first round. Um, I always think back to the 1999 Duke team. I mean, I think they were 37, 38-2, went undefeated in the ACC. Um, they didn't win the tournament. They didn't win the title. And I know Roy always talks about, I believe it was the 1997 Kansas team uh, that was so good. They didn't win the title. And so when we start talking about uh, capitalizing on talent, it's hard to do. And a lot of times you see teams that are not the best teams in the country uh, win the tournament. And this year is shaping up to be that way. You know, I'm firmly convinced the two best teams in the country entering the tournament or Virginia and Villanova. I still think Villanova is the best team, uh, but you know the way it's broken up, I mean, whoever wins that right side of the bracket has a really good chance to win this thing. And so to get to back-to-back national title games is an incredible feat, whether you win them or lose them. And the fact that you know, North Carolina was 4.6 seconds away from forcing overtime in 2016, and the fact that they won one in 2017, I mean, take some time, if you will, and go back and look through that 2017 NCAA tournament. How many tough games there were? I mean, even their Arkansas game, uh, they had to make a run late to win that game. And all the other games were tough. They had to make plays down the stretch. So it is incredibly difficult. Um, And so kind of the point in saying that is even if you have a phenomenal team, you're not guaranteed of winning the title. And so you have to embrace the opportunities when, when you actually do. Um, and really, the, the best you can do and the, the most you can ask of a team is kind of what Roy Williams sets as their goal. It's never to win the title. It's never to get to the title game. It's get to the Final Four. And if you can get to the Final Four, then you're in the conversation then things maybe will roll your way and you have a chance at winning a title. Um, so from that standpoint, how often should you expect a team to get to the final four? And I think Tommy, you said it perfectly right in his opening comments here is that Roy Williams with the way that he builds his teams every three or four years, they're in contention. And after watching the team this year, I do not think they're going to be capable of winning a title next year even though I expect them to be pretty good if they can find a point guard. But two to three years down the road, you know, if you can get somebody like a Kobe White to stay around, um, or even a Nazir Little if things don't play out and he's, he's not a lottery pick next year. But we've seen a, a ton of growth from Manley. We've seen a ton of growth from Garrison Brooks. I think those guys are going to be legit players in a couple years. You add a few pieces here and there, then all of a sudden you've got a team that can challenge for a Final Four. So um, you know, expectations as they are, everybody wants to win every single year. Roy Williams wants to win the title every single year. But you know, from a perspective of, hey, what has worked? What's a proven formula? You, you, building up every couple of years, I think, is the way to go. And Roy Williams has done a, a fantastic job of doing that. 
You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See reno.ie. All right, Greg, stay with you. Let's turn to next year. Let's talk Cam Johnson a little bit. Uh, I think the expectation with him coming in was he's going to play one season and then move on. He's older. Um, he's been in college for four years now, four or five years now. Uh, your thoughts on his situation. I know Roy Williams had some con. Uh, comments about it during his radio show um, I don't think either way is a done deal at this point but your thoughts overall on it well first and foremost uh, he's got one year of eligibility left so there is no reason whatsoever for him not to put his name into the draft go to the combine get feedback see what they think about you and make a decision from there um, I, I, I think you have to do that if you're in his shoes and then it's a matter of okay what feedback do I get combined with how much would I want to play on this team next year? Um, and I think that's kind of the, the big key because, you know, in speaking with his father last week, I mean, that family absolutely loves the Carolina family dynamic. I, I think it, it surprised them. Uh, and, and Sherelle can speak to this probably more than I can, but it surprised them. Uh, you, the truth of that Carolina family, that is, it's, it's a real, tangible thing uh, and I think that is addictive and so instead of just throwing your name in the draft and hoping to get picked in the second round if you're not a guaranteed first rounder maybe that's enough to come back and play again with Luke and Kenny who he's really good friends with um, and so I think there's a lot to play out I think we're we're more than a month away from him making a probably making a final decision unless somebody says hey you're you're guaranteed first round which may may change things. Uh, I, I don't know if he's his game is quite at that level. I think he has some areas of improvement, but that hasn't stopped players before. I mean, you know, Tokato, of course, left early, and uh, he, he was able to get on with the team. So uh, I think if he comes back, North Carolina is in really good shape. The primary question at that point would be point guard. Uh, but if he decides to go, that really alters the dynamic of, Okay, where's the score and punch going to come from? So we'll be following that story closely over the next, I guess, two months now. Um, but, yeah, but I, I agree with you, Tommy. I think right now uh, there, there's a lot for him to figure out. And uh, it's I don't know if it's 50-50 or what, but he's definitely uh, balancing that, that line right now. Yeah, agreeing with Greg said pretty much everything, but um, they, I think the family, just talking with people around the program and talking to the family, they were maybe surprised by how much of a family UNC is. And th those are their words, not mine. Um, surprised by, you know, how much they enjoyed it, surprised by just how much the team liked being with each other. When you come from a situation um, that has become toxic and you go to somewhere like North Carolina, with experienced players where they all know what they're doing, where they like to have fun. Um, it's definitely makes you reconsider maybe preconceived notions of well, I'm coming in and doing my one year and then I'm out. So I, I think the original plan was for Cam to be kind of a, a type of one and done for UNC to play well. Um, and I think now that has maybe, um, I'm not saying what he's going to do, but I think it's not near as a certainty as it maybe was a few months ago um, that being at UNC and being around Roy Williams has, you know, really made an impression on him. And there's something to be said for sticking around for another year, like you said, and staying with Kenny and Luke and trying to do better than the team did this year. So he, again, Greg said it all. He has decisions to make over the next couple of months. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I think Carolina family thing is real, isn't it, Ross? Yeah, and I think it's important to note. I mean, Cam is a probably the most thoughtful guy on this team in terms of just kind of thinking through his thoughts and considering everything, you know, very direct in interviews. You can tell he processes a lot of different things and kind of, you know, knows what's going on and it's going to take his time and go through the process and, and make a good decision for him. And, and then also realize that he's very close with, with Luke and Kenny. Those are his guys. Those are the guys he spends the most time with. You know, I see them around Chapel Hill. 
Franklin Street a lot. That's kind of his crew. And those are the two guys we would assume are coming back. I know Kenny has said as much. Not, seems all, Everything seems like Luke will come back as well. So you got to think that you, know, you might want to stay on and just have one more year in college to um, to make a run with those guys and, and, and make it special um, for his last year and for those guys last year. But also there's a there's the process of uh, going out and making some money, whether that be in the NBA or in Europe, and just kind of starting your pro career. He's has had some um, injury issues. His, his body is not you – know, maybe not the, the peak – peak form in terms of just what it can do athletically. Um, he is an athletic guy, so his potential in the NBA may be limited, but he does have a, a jump shot, which can give you time um, wherever. So very interesting to watch. Um, and then I think I think from there, we kind of move the conversation to what this team uh, looks like. If, if we want to dive into this, and I think it starts with point guard um, to kind of go into this subject. And I want to pose this question to uh, Sherelle point guard next year i know that's what it's gonna be a big topic on the boards uh, i think on twitter you know people are, are trying to say it's gonna be kobe white next year but then you turn around and seventh woods is a, it was gonna be a third year guard under really system so sure who do you think uh if we start talking about the lineups for next year um whether cam johnson's back or next who the point guard's gonna be and we can kind of bounce around this topic um for the 2018-19 season well i think uh I think Seventh Woods knows that he hasn't played well. And part of that is because he's been injured for most of his career. Uh, but I think he's going to, he has the summer probably of his life, <laughs> you know, his basketball career coming up over the next few months. He has to really um, kind of immerse himself in becoming a point guard and see and what that entails um, in getting better um, as a jump shooter and getting better as a ball handler and getting better at every part of the game and getting into the weight room. He's got to do all that stuff. And, um, you know, some people, this is not dis- disparaging or anything, but some people, that's just too much of a challenge. I don't, I don't know if that's the case for seventh, but um, he has a lot to do over the summer to um, continue to earn the trust of Roy Williams, especially when Kobe White is coming in. Because one thing I always look to every single year, and I've mentioned this on podcast, is what Roy Williams says about the signees um, whenever he's, at, he's asked. And if you look at what he said about Kobe, he's already laying the blueprint or, or kind of laying hints that Kobe is going to play some point guard. He, you know, at first he started off saying he was going to play some one, he's going to play some two. And then uh, when his radio show, he said he could definitely play point guard in North Carolina. And, you know, you start talking to people around the program again, and it seems like he has confidence that if needed, Kobe White can be his starting point guard in North Carolina. So um, I think it'll be seventh or Kobe. You know, I, I think, um, because of how hard Kobe plays, because of some of the things he can do offensively. The, Roy Williams is not afraid to give the ball to a freshman. He's done it with Bobby Frazier. He did it with Ty Lawson. He did it with uh, Kendall Marshall after Larry Drew transferred. He did it with um, Marcus Page. Um, so, you know, he's not afraid to do that. So if you had to ask me today, I, I would say Kobe will be the starting point guard um, for the majority of games next season. Greg, looking at Seventh Woods, um, you know, Dean Smith always said the biggest jump was between freshman and sophomore season. That didn't really happen for Seventh Woods, and I think injuries may have had a lot to do with that. Either that's the issue or it's just not going to click. But your thoughts on the point guard situation for next year? Yeah, and I talked with with Seventh for a while, actually on Saturday. Um, and we, we went through a lot of, a lot of different scenarios and I think everybody needs to understand that seventh was, was hurt his entire freshman year. And if you're able to see the, uh, open practice in, in Charlotte last week, you saw the between the legs dunk, he's got his athleticism back. Uh, and so I think, I think there's potential there for him to be a good defender. Um, clearly he's got to get a lot more playing time with the ball in his hands to be a quality point guard at this level. But the fact that he was hurt so much his first year, he's kind of been behind the eight ball. And so we, we talk about that jump from his freshman year and his sophomore year. He didn't really have that true dynamic because he was injured so much. And so I think this all season, kind of like Sherelle said, is going to be critically important for him. Uh, he's got to, he understands the offense. He understands what Roy Williams wants him to do. He has not been able to to put that into action on the court yet, but that doesn't mean he can't get his act together and be serviceable. 
I mean, I think that's that's key because even if it's Rayshon Black or, or Kobe White, uh, that ultimately is the guy next year, you've got to have a veteran leader be able to help out. You can't just throw them in cool, cold. Um, and so I think it's, it is a, a big offseason for seventh. And the other name I would throw in there is that Roy Williams has talked about KJ Smith as well. So you've got you've got Kobe, you've got seventh, you've got Rayshon, KJ Smith, or the four guys that UNC is going to run through the ringer this offseason and next preseason trying to figure out who are our legitimate options to play this position. I think they're going to give Seventh Woods every single opportunity that there is to win that starting job just because he is a veteran. He knows what they want him to do. But then it's up to him to do it. And if he does not capitalize on that opportunity, uh, then maybe some of these kids, you know, Rayshon or, or Kobe, like Sherell said, actually take the job. So um, it's, it's a big offseason, I think, for North Carolina fans. You really have to be pulling for Seventh Woods to to improve and he's not going to be a Marcus Page, Joel Berry type of kid. But maybe if he could be a Nate Brett, Nate Brett level, then you're then you're got somebody that you can you can play with and you can run the offense through. Um and that would be that would be critical. Hey, I, I enjoyed watching Nate Britt play at times last year. He caught a lot of flack, but he certainly played well when Carolina needed it. And who knows? There might be a name out there or two that maybe uh, pops up down the road. We'll see how that shakes out. Ross, big men. A lot of talk on the message board about whether Roy Williams goes back to his preferred uh, two big men style of play and inside out style of play. That That's my first question. Do you see that happening next year? And part two of the question for everybody as we go around is which of the two bigs, Brooks or Manley, do you guys see making the biggest jump into next season, Ross? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot to talk on there. Um, real quick, I, just to go back to the point of our question, real quick, I think UNC fans should be very scared of of the the point guard deal next year. Um, I just think there's there's not a clear option, and that's a little scary. I think uh, we haven't seen anything from Seventh Woods that, that says he could be the guy. I think Kobe White uh, definitely has some tools, but coming in as a freshman trying to run Roy Williams' offense is going to be super difficult, especially the style that he has played in high school. Um, he's a scorer, and, and that could, you know, eliminate some and, and some weaknesses and, and make it look better than he really is. But um, you know, looking to KJ Smith, I think that's a great point by Greg, a guy who's, who's played you know one year ball Pacific and. You know, could have some athleticism and has been in the system at least for a year. Um, and I don't think Rayshon Black is going to be ready either. But um, I think it's a super interesting topic that's going to be the huge issue for the next, um, for the summer and spring, summer and into the fall. Uh, big men, I think, you know, UNC fans should be really excited at what they have. Um, Sterling Manley and Garrison Brooks are going to come into uh, the offseason and, and out into the fall like different guys. I think Jonas will get them, you know, super strong they'll get in much better shape i think it was easy to see that sterling manley was winded very easily when he got into the games i think you'll see a, a huge improvement from that he kind of knows what it takes now and knows where he needs to be um i think you'll see both guys a lot stronger and that's just exciting to see i was hoping um you know as a media member um just to see to see tony bradley get that transformation as well and see what he could do with a, a whole year under the weight program but um, we'll see that with, with Manley and Brooks. Um, whether they go with two bigs, I think a lot of that depends on whether Cam Johnson goes pro. Because I think if Cam Johnson stays, it's going to be hard not to start Cam Johnson and the Sear Little at the three um, and four spot and then have Luke May at the, the four or five spot as well. Um, what are you, you going to bench Nasir Little and, and, and bench Johnson in favor of certainly Manley or Brooks? I guess the one guy you'd have to hold out would be Nasir Little, and he's too talented. Um, but I know Roy wants to get back to the two big lineup, but we've seen uh, the 2017-18 season that they can have success with a small lineup, especially when you have bigger guards like UNC will have next year with with student guard, um, you know, the best shooter on the team, and then have some some longer, you know, small forward type players. Um, but I think the jump from uh, from Sterling Manley and Brooks is going to be huge. Which one has the biggest jump? I think Manley has the most potential and the most growth. We saw flashes from him, but I liked what I saw from Garrison Brooks in the AC tournament, particularly the Duke game. 
showing a little passion. He has a little dog in him, a little fight. Um, not a super like funny, happy-go-lucky guy to the media. Um, seems a little a little intense, which is good. And he has that kind of fight in him, especially with that um, Grayson Allen interview and kind of how he handled that situation. So I, I think, and we've talked about this all season long, I think those guys are going to develop into great players. I think you'll see a huge jump freshman year to – to sophomore year, just understanding what it takes and what Roy Williams needs and what you need to be, be at physically and, and developing a, a go-to shot here and there. And I think, you know, they're going to be the duo that UNC turns to for the next, uh, three or, I guess, two or three years um, and something to be exciting about. I think there's, there's no question in my mind whatsoever that UNC will start the season with a two-big lineup. Primarily because what happened against A&M. And that that is the style of game that Roy Williams has always won because he has dominated the post. And I can only imagine how insane that game drove him knowing that A&M beat him at his own game. And so I think May, of course, will be the four, but he will be all over Manley, Huffman, and Brooks this all season to elevate their play and get stronger. Uh, and I, I would be shocked if we see a small lineup next year. I, I would be shocked. Yeah, I, I'm with Greg. Like, I could imagine Roy Williams at home right now, like, drinking a Coca-Cola, watching the game and just being incensed, just absolutely being frustrated and angry and even more resolute now than he was before that his brand of basketball, the way he does things, is how he's going to do it no matter what. Because... You know, it was it was like a worst nightmare for him, like uh, a team shooting poorly who can't get a rebound, being dominated by big men who are athletic and shooters who are wide open because they're big men force you to double team them. And so it just seems like there's no way on earth that he's going to do that again next year, regardless of talent. Like he's going to make it work one way or the other. So I agree with Greg. I think the small lineup days are done. But well, come on. Uh, but listen, but if that happens and Cam Johnson comes back, there's no way Cam Johnson as a 60-year senior or a 50-year senior doesn't start. And you you telling me Nas Little's going to start out on the bench, Sherelle? I, I don't have those answers, but I can tell you one thing. I know <laughs> I know what Ro Williams likes and what he the way he wants to play. And Greg nailed it. I mean, he's not going to stand for it anymore. They sure they were great rebounding, they did well. But when they came up against teams who were bigger than them who were stronger than them, who were more athletic than them, they couldn't handle it. And I think uh, Roy Williams, is he's not going to tolerate it anymore. And he's going back to his uh, two big guys. And I think losing and Theo I- Pinson, you, know, you lose your best kind of wing forward rebounder. You know, Theo Pinson averaged something like five or six rebounds a game. He was huge playing that kind of four um, stretch, you know, stretch wing position. And so losing him is going to make, you know, them commit in a different way to to a bigger, uh, more rebounding type lineup. Tommy, how many games did Marvin Williams start in 05? Zero. Maybe I think one. That's... Or no, it was zero, wasn't it? I don't it know zero. that he started any. Yeah, it was zero. Yep. He didn't start any. So I think just because you have a talented kid coming in, if Little can play, he's going to play. Um but Roy will work him in in a way that is, is functional and works within the dynamic. I'm not saying that you know, he won't use that small lineup some, but I, I don't think there's any way that we will see the small lineup be the, the key lineup next year or, or for years to come. I mean, in the, in the A&M game, I think people need to realize that late in the first half, Roy Williams switched to his zone. What happened when he switched to the zone? About Anybody remember? Two, about three seconds, they got an open three and made and it. And knocked it down. And then they quit playing zone. So say what you will about Roy. We all know he's stubborn. And we didn't, we didn't see zone the rest of the half when he did that, when that happens. Uh, and I'm surprised he didn't mention it after the game because we've heard that so many times before. Of, Look, I even tried to go zone, and what happens? They knocked down a wide open three. He is set in his ways. His ways work. They are proven. And I just I think the way this season ended is is going to reinforce to him, like Sherelle said, that the traditional lineup is the way to go, even if it's tough trying to get the guys to to pick up what he wants to do and to learn it. He is going to force feed them 
opportunities in minutes to make sure they get it right. And Tommy, when it comes to Nasir too, jumping back into there, um, he is not the type who is going to come in and demand that he starts. That's just not the type of person he is. Now, granted, he does want to play a lot, but I don't think starting or not starting is going to be a huge thing for him. It's just going to be that he is able to help the team and, and able to play a lot of minutes. Um, and, you know, there is a stat that every top 10 wing who's Roe Williams is recruited has started from day one. So that's something to consider too. But with Nasir, I can tell you, it's not a, it's not a necessity that he starts from day one. And what about, isn't Nasir, I mean, he's a big guy that could get in there and, and get some boards and kind of be a, a bigger, bigger wing, um, more so than a, a Cameron Johnson or a Justin Jackson, right? I mean, he can get down there and bang and grab some boards. Am I correct oh, yeah, there? definitely. I, I think if, you know, once the lineup gets pared down some, I think he becomes kind of the de facto backup four if they do go play small. He does the Theo Pinton role just as a freshman because um, he actually, I think right now, is probably bigger than than Pinton is um, already as a senior in high school. Um, you know, so he can do those things. He, he kind of has that power wing thing going on. Um, so is is if they do want to go small for you know stretches, five or ten minute stretches, then Nas is, is definitely capable of playing the four. All right, guys, we've covered a lot. We've hit most of these questions on the message board. So I'm gonna go to each of you and let you each bring up a topic or a subject we hadn't discussed. We'll talk about it for a few minutes and then we'll get out of here. And Ross, I'll start with you. Uh, I mean, we've talked about a lot. What haven't we talked about? Um, and what will we be paying attention to maybe this off season? It's a great question. Um, I mean, just looking through the questions here on the message board. Um, this is a fun one. We'll go uh, favorite game memory, game slash memory, or, or anything with Pinson and Barry. Kind of wrap up their career. I know we've talked about this a decent amount, but um, you know, Sherelle, you covered their recruitment. Greg called, covered their careers, and, and we've all seen them play. So we'll start with you, Sherelle. What what kind of stands out? Maybe a fun memory, or, or just a favorite memory in terms of anything with with Theo Pinson and Joel Barry. Um, so <laughs> taking it into the way back machine, um, when Deanna Kunovac was still with Inside Carolina, we went to Wesley and, and in High Point where Theo Pinson went to high school, uh, Harry Giles was there too. So we were there for him also, but we just spent a day with Theo and, you know, we, uh, we were in the gym with him. We were in study hall with the team. We were in the locker room with the team. And it's funny because everything that people see now, you know, Theo talked about being genuine. Um, at the press conference on on uh, Sunday, he hopes that everybody knows that that was really him. We saw the same, doing the same exact stuff, you know, acting silly, cutting up, having a good time when he was a junior in high school. So it's fun to see that, you know, sometimes in this stuff, guys change from 10th grade to when they're a senior in college. You know, they, they big time you, they don't talk to you, they don't say hello, anything like that. But Theo is pretty much the same person he's always been. So that's been, that was fun to see. What about you, Greg? Those two yeah, guys. I'll, I'll go with I'll, I'll go with with Barry, and I, I touched on this in an article to start the season. But in LA, uh, back in 2015, UNC lost to to Wisconsin in the Sweet 16, and the post game locker room was pretty much what you would expect, uh, because pretty much everybody was going to be coming back, and Marcus Page was sitting there, you know, holding clinic like he typically did, saying, "Look." You know, we we knew that we had to play better this season to get a better seed because the last thing you want is to get to the Sweet 16 and play a dominant number one like the Badgers were. And it, we just kind of cost ourselves with how we played in the season. Bryce Johnson, always an emotional guy, of course, was was upset. Uh, and it was pretty, uh, pretty much a stock locker room. But then I just happened to go over to Joel Berry and I start talking to Joel, and he's ticked off. I mean, he's like mad. And he starts saying, well, you know what? We, we understand uh, we didn't do enough. But, but listen, we're going to get back, and we're going we're gonna to play for the national championship because that's our goal. We're coming back to play for the national championship. And at the time, he's a, you know, he's a freshman. And I'm like, all right, you know, big talk. He, he's, he's, he sounds good, but he hasn't been through the grind yet. And lo and behold, what happens? You know, plays in two national championship games, and the kid scores you know twenty points in, in both games. Final four most outstanding player. So you talk to kids at random times, and things stick with you. And his freshman year, he said that, and that stuck with me. It stuck with me ever since. 
and you just kind of get a sense of what these kids are made of. Uh, he's he's probably the toughest competitor that I've covered. Ty Lawson's up there as well. Um, Hansbro's up there, but uh, just a, a gritty performer. And I think that the the pairing of Barry and Pinson, you know, he's all Pinson's always fun loving. Uh, they really kind of balance each other out. And I think that's one of the reasons that UNC has had just an incredible run really the last you know, three years. Tommy, you got a, a favorite memory of those two? Well, I didn't get to cover them as much as you guys did, but I would say probably a lot of people listening to this podcast would agree with me is the two Duke matchups this year, both from Pinson, the two that they won, both from Pinson and Barry. Uh, Pinson's play and the dunks and Barry when he snatched it from Gary Trent Jr. and didn't back down. I mean, watching that, I know Carolina fans um, watch that and think finally. And it wasn't finally for Barry. He'd been doing it his whole career. But to have a player play like that and be like that, I know Carolina fans enjoyed seeing that. You guys know from talking to me on these podcasts what type players I like. And I enjoyed seeing that from Barry and from Pinson in those games. Yeah, and I'll, I'll dive in. Um, I look, this year there's so many with, with Theo Pinson. You're, I can go actually go back to last year. Him the, the final four games, he, he threw the ball up in the air in both the Oregon win and the Gonzaga win. I thought that was super cool to see that from him in that moment and kind of him playing his role there. And this year, jumping up on the bench after the Duke win, high fiving role down the court in a, in a blowout win. I think it was Boston College or one of those blowout wins in the Dean Dome. Um, that dunk against Duke was really cool. And, um, you know, his quote, I'm going to bring it up here, his quote after the loss was that, you know, he never took any of this for granted. He always was smiling. He always enjoyed it. And it was really cool how I, I think Joel Berry and Terry Pinson understood that this team wasn't as good as the previous teams, but they were going to enjoy the ride. And I think they, they made a point to do that. They kept talking about that throughout the season, and especially at the beginning of the season, and then making sure they enjoyed every moment. I thought they did that. I think that's something a lot of players don't do. They don't. They don't. They take it for granted. And I think Theo Pinson, in particular, was always smiling and always lit up the room, and he was a joy to cover. And I think Joel Berry, man, one of the most honest players in terms of just get, you can ask him anything. He'll sit there and talk to you and give you a great quote, no matter the topic, and treat every question you know, super serious and just say, you know, we, we always do impressions of him of just how kind of just straight, honest and blunt he was, no matter the topic, whether he was talking about another team, another player, his performance, you know, kind of get on the freshman this year. So his honesty as a journalist was refreshing and he was always good for a, a good quote or just to sit there and talk with him about certain things. That's what I'll remember about him. Greg, what's something we hadn't talked about? I mean, Real quick, I know we're talking our listeners' ears off, but uh, maybe something we haven't discussed that we will be um, this, you know, maybe mid-October next year, or actually later this year, later in 2018. Well, we hinted at it, but Sterling Manley will be a All-ACC performer by his junior season. I can see that. I, I can see that it's there if he stays healthy and progresses, absolutely. Did you see his was it the turnaround jumper against Texas A&M? I thought that was kind of like a something we'll point back to next year. It was Texas. It was a Texas A&M game, right? Yeah, he had a, he had the turnaround jumper that put him up twenty to thirteen, and then hell came to town. Yeah, the, the power went out at my house after that <laughs> shot. Sherelle, <laughs> your thoughts um, I, on something we'll be talking about. I'm looking forward to seeing how Kenny Williams develops. Um, you know, he's, I think this will be the first off season. He's been completely healthy since he's been at UNC. And we talked about how the work of Justin Jackson kind of uh, rubbed off on Luke May and how that rubbed off on Kenny Williams and how that rubbed off on Cameron Johnson. So I'm curious to see if Cam Johnson comes back, um, how those three um, can up their game next year. Kenny, you know, he went from making one three as a freshman to being sporadic as a sophomore, to being pretty good, you know, outside of a couple four or five game stretches as a junior. So I'm curious to see if he can be a, you know, a 43, 44% type player um, carrying more of an offensive load in addition to what he's already does on defense. So I, I think that's, that's how the team can get close to matching what it did this year is the, the growth from 
Luke May and from Kenny Williams and then all the guys we've talked about um, on the podcast today. So um, I, I expect big things from Kenny. I, I really think he can have a, a big senior season. Um, he can do some of the things that uh, two guards under Roy Williams have done, have been really successful. Um, and I, I just think he has a, a high ceiling just because of how well he shoots the ball. And, and yeah. kind of adding to that, you know, there's so many cool storylines going into the season, you know, how much Kenny Williams develops, but what's going to happen when teams keep Luke May? Is he going to be able to be produced as much as he did this last season? And there's the Cam Johnson storyline. There's the big man storyline we've talked about. And how do these freshmen work into the lineup? Uh, how good can Osir Little be? What can Kobe White do as a freshman? Can Rayshon Black be a contributor? And there's news guys coming off the bench and the point guard topic as well i mean like always with these teams there's just a lot of moving parts i think a lot of interesting questions when you lose two pl- two players like joel berry and theo pinson and how guys step into roles and new players step in so there'll be no shortage of of, of topics and you know questions and, and theories about what's gonna um, happen with the Tar Heel team uh, for next year Great stuff. Great podcast. Uh, for me, it's going to be who replaces Barry and Pinson's leadership. And I think that it, you got to have a good point guard. The big's got to be better, but they got to have a rudder on the ship. And Barry and Pinson have been that for the last three and a half, four years uh, for North Carolina. So that's going to be something I, I pay attention to and I watch. May not know that answer until this time next year. Kenny. Uh, but you think, you think it'll be Kenny? <laughs> I do. Sherelle's calling it now. Kenny and Luke. All right, we'll see. Greg, Ross, Sherelle, man, it's been an awesome, fun season. Reading everything y'all have put out there, watching the videos y'all have put out there, and all the hard work. Sherelle, as always, it's been fun to talk to you on these podcasts. But, boys, that's the postseason wrap. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.